Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and our website, BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. On today's show, our weekly tech panel joins the program for our first segment of 2019. On the docket today, Tesla, Apple, Samsung, and of course, CES 2019. Later on in the show, co-host Tyler Orton will speak with the co-founder of Talent Lab about purpose and inclusivity in the workplace. You're listening to BIV Today. Tesla is taking on the Chinese market with a new factory. Apple and Samsung are at least temporarily setting aside their rivalry for a new partnership. And of course, one of the world's largest consumer electronics shows is underway in Las Vegas this week. This week, the first week of 2019, has given our tech panel a lot to talk about. And we have on the line from Toronto, Ali Pordad, CEO of Progressa. And in studio with me, Linda Fawkes, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society. Happy New Year to you both, and thanks for coming on the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Let's start with CES 2019. This is, of course, where the world gets a glimpse of the kinds of innovative products companies have been working on and what we maybe can expect in the year ahead. It's just starting, of course, Linda, but so far, what's caught your attention? So much is going on at CES, and we we haven't even started the public-facing side of the event yet. Um, what really caught my attention are all the connected devices. I think this mm. is, um, we're going to see some really fun connected devices. Samsung, if CES is a Super Bowl for nerds, Samsung just stole a halftime <laughs> show with their crazy 98-inch QLED screen. Yeah. Their sneak peek of their 5G phones. So I, and connected, connected, connected. Chips, mm-hmm. hardware, faster graphics, connected devices. Ali, what about you? What's caught your attention? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I don't know how to how to describe this year because I remember last year, uh, ready to start of the year, CES again, uh, it was just uh, launching, and I remember us talking about smart home devices last year, and I, I was trying to think of what's changed, and I was digging, I, I started to dig into the articles and just really understand, uh, you know, what what was going on at the gadget level, and it and it does look like. You know, and just comparing this year to last year, I think last year it was it was about smart home devices for sure, but I think it was about smart home devices for the sake of just having smart home devices. Whereas this year, I think you're you're starting to see real practical applications start to come to fruition, which which didn't necessarily exist last year. Maybe it was just about having something in the home last year. So this year you have things like cycling safety airbags and you know, diabetes monitors and services, things that are solving real problems today and real trends today that um, may or may not be working in the favor of uh, human society. But um, it's, it seems to be, you know, real practical applications, which is exciting. It's good, it's good to see. And but that wasn't the one that caught my eye, of course. Every, always the shiny object catches everybody's eyes. And for me, it was the LG uh, roll-up TV. Oh, yeah. Every year they come out with some kind of a new, amazing, bendable, flippable TV. And this yeah, so it rolls up if you if you aren't using it. It's pretty amazing. Which is basically the only way I'm gonna ever have an eight foot screen in my living room. So <laughs> well, if I could roll it away. Was, Linda Linda, that's exactly what I was thinking when I saw it. I said I was thinking to myself, this has real practical applications for uh all the renters out there, people who are in you know, smaller condo units uh that need that space. Um, it's an, it's actually a really practical, practical, uh, television. Now, I don't know if it's going to be price practical. It seems like it could be very expensive, but, uh, definitely, uh, you know, should make life easier for many people. 
I agree, though. Last year at CES, we talked, we've talked for so many years now about the Internet of Things and connected devices, and it's not really hit our daily life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the manufacturers at CES this year are saying, well, we came out with all this cool stuff nobody's asking for, but we're going to show it to you anyway. But my takeaway as well is that these devices are now ready for integration into our daily life. There's a lot of them that we might actually want to use at price points that makes sense, but it should make for some really interesting privacy concerns over the coming months. Yeah, no kidding. And Ali, you mentioned that 2018 really was the year of the the connected home device. You talked a lot about home devices. We had some funny gaffes over the course of the year of people figuring out how to use them and how maybe they had a bit of a learning curve to go through. Do you think, though, that the devices people bought last year, are those going to be kind of thrown out in the years ahead and incompatible with all of this new technology? Or will they, they still be fundamentally relevant, say, in 2019? Uh, Haley, I think that largely depends on the um, the the war that you have between Samsung, Apple, Amazon, uh, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, Google. Uh, you know, to the extent these parties can play nice, I think many of these smart home devices uh, survive the long term because you start to get uh, applications that potentially have. Um, uh, applications and content, I should say, that that have cross uh, benefits uh, to to various platforms. Uh, to the extent that they all sort of remain in silos, I think that uh, does uh, you know bring the end to some of them. I'm not sure which ones will 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 be the ones that survive, but they can't all survive if uh, we end up in a situation where um, you know one or two of them have all the content. Didn't you love uh, Apple looming large over CES with Apple doesn't uh, have a booth at CES. They're there in their executive presence, but they're looming large over the strip with the massive ad on the side of the Marriott that says (laughs) what uh, happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone as a little dig to Mm. all those companies who have breached our privacy so horribly in the last 12 months. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next next 12 months on that front. Yeah, that's a good point. All these companies kind of conquering the home. We've welcomed them into our homes, into our purses, into our workspaces. They're everywhere. In ways we can't even imagine we're going to be giving up data and privacy. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that would be a big theme this year. Netflix, I mean, Netflix is a great, I think the, the most successful example of that in 2018, the last year we just came out of, I think Netflix, because you saw year over year what what they've been do what they've been able to do to the Canadian household, I think you know you ask uh, almost anybody you know and they're watching Netflix now uh, and they're watching something on Netflix and so uh, it'll be very interesting to see um, you know can can companies like Netflix uh, play nice with everybody going forward if they can then you know maybe, maybe they're well positioned and other companies maybe want to follow suit with that strategy that is a perfect segue to our next topic. If we're looking at, say, Netflix and how that has reshaped the entertainment consumption space, at least in the home, do either of you rent movies on iTunes? I remember I used to way back in the day before Netflix. Linda, do you use iTunes for that? I actually tried a couple of days ago to get a couple of movies rented from iTunes, um, and they didn't have the content I wanted. Oh. But it, it was really old school. I had to go to iTunes and find the icon and balk at the $5 rental price and who buys movies anymore? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we're so into streaming. We're so into streaming and Apple is so sorely missed in that space. That's going to change. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of streaming services that 
that I use instead. Of course. And yeah, if you're talking about $5 for one movie, you pay $8, $9 and you have essentially unlimited content exactly. more than you could ever consume. And Ali, of course, the topic we're talking about is Samsung partnering with Apple so that iTunes will be available through an app on Samsung smart TVs. Why, in your view, does this partnership make sense? Well, it, I think it, it definitely addresses uh, the main uh, elephant in the room, which is that these, these companies uh, historically have not shown that they can play nice. And so that creates problems for the consumer. I mean, we've talked about it in prior shows, I think, early on when the Google uh, home devices came out. I, I remember coming on uh, the show and, and complaining about how I couldn't access my Apple uh, playlist on my Google Home. And this, so this is one example of a company's rivals playing nice to the benefit of the consumer. And I think that could be a game changer. I mean, uh, there's no hiding that uh, the Apple TV itself has sort of been a disaster. The, the Apple TV hardware box has been a disaster. It uh, hasn't really picked up, I think, the way Apple would have liked. And so them sort of uh, starting to play nice and, and, and also at the same time focusing on streaming and content creation could set them up to be a very successful uh, potential competitor to Netflix uh, if they play nice with enough uh, rivals and, and create these partnerships and they could replicate what Netflix has. I know Amazon obviously has their sights on it, uh, but Apple could also play in that game uh, if they can uh, start to build these partnerships. It's a good point because Netflix has been the dominant player. I think it's fair to say in the streaming space, there's some competition now, Amazon being a major competitor. But if we look at iTunes, Linda, how much would that model have to change for it to really be on par or even perhaps beat out a Netflix? Yeah, what it takes, I think uh, we all agree in the media space, it's going to take one great show and a whole bunch of money. And mm -hmm. Apple's capable of creating or generating both. And they are working uh, hard right now to get their streaming service launched for 2019. Apple's also famous for not diving into a space ahead of anybody else, right? They waited for Spotify to own the streaming music part of the world before iTunes or Apple Music came out. So I think Apple's streaming service is going to be an incredible competitor to Netflix, and they will probably pretty easily crush the content that's on Prime Video right now because it's not that good, hmm. in my opinion. So I think we're going to see a lot on Apple TV. What, it's not called Apple TV. Whatever Apple streaming service will be called, some of right. those shows being filmed right here in Vancouver right now, and that's all getting launched next year. And this move with Samsung, Apple makes, um, they work with their frenemies all the time, right? They did it with Microsoft. They've done it with IBM. It only makes yep. sense for them to partner with Samsung. They made an announcement with uh, LG and Vizio. So they are just going uh, away from this dominance of their revenue coming from iPhone and hardware sales and moving more severely into we're a content distribution, content creation company, buy our services and buy our content. And now they're going to have uh, eyeballs on that content from every major device on the planet. So it's a super critical move, a smart move, and I think uh, not that surprising. Mm -hmm. And probably necessary because, I mean, the market share for Apple TVs versus Samsung TVs, where Samsung's the largest TV maker in the world, a, a smart move from that perspective, tapping into Samsung's users. Our 100%. Yeah. Our final story, we talked a lot about Tesla in 2018. And of course, they're in the news at the start of the year as the company breaks ground on its first factory outside of the US. This is going to be a 2 billion US dollar plant in Shanghai, making Model 3s and then maybe a crossover model for the Chinese market. Ali, give us some context. How significant is this for Tesla? 
So, I mean, very significant uh, financially for for Tesla. This this would be a, a game changer. China is a, one of one will be one of its biggest markets, uh, if not biggest, uh, for this sort of car. There's lots of money in China and lots of demand for this type of vehicle. Uh, so, I think uh, it's it's a great move from that perspective. But uh, you know, I I couldn't help but think about their IP when I when I saw when I saw these articles. Uh, and just think about you know what you know how the Chinese economy works right now and how what I mean, what what should we expect from Chinese manufacturers? Are we going to expect that you'll have uh, quickly within sort of three to six nine months uh, several uh, Tesla ripoffs uh, out of China? I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that if you start you start to see manufacturers with other electric vehicles uh, coming quickly and potentially other uses for Tesla's batteries. That's an interesting point. And along with this, of course, we are seeing some pretty bold attempts on the part of Beijing to really create this new industry, a lot of money going into electric vehicle infrastructure, too. One of the things that came to mind for me, Linda, was whether Tesla can meet the demand. They have missed production deadline after production deadline in the North American markets. And now they're entering one of the biggest markets in the world. Could that be a challenge? I think it'll be a huge challenge. They are. The Gigafactory is going to start by creating batteries and they can meet that demand, I believe. I think they're going to do totally fine in China. I think they will meet the demand. They've got the favor of the party. So they've got the support of the government to make it happen. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think they've got a lot of resources behind them to ensure that they do become very successful in China. And China's the largest electric car market on the planet. So they've got a lot of yep. big market to sell into. So I think everything is going to align perhaps better for them in China than it does in their other markets. Hmm. That'll be a story to watch in 2019. I'm sure we'll keep talking about Tesla in the year ahead. For now, Linda, Ali, thank you both for joining me on the show. Good to have you back here. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Linda Fawkes, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society, joining me in Vancouver and on the line from Toronto, Ali Pordaz, CEO at Progressa. And with us now, it's Alicia Adams. She is the co-founder of Talent Lab. Her HR consulting group is hosting a conference or an unconference on January 15th at the Roundhouse Community Center in downtown Vancouver. It's aiming to help cultivate more compassion within the workplace. Alicia, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So what do you mean by unconference? That's something that jumps out to me. I want to know maybe what the difference is between a conference and this so-called unconference here. Yeah, totally. So um, my business partner, Tess, and I were kind of inspired by going to a bunch of conferences and really being uninspired at the conference. You know, you walk into I've this, been to those before. You've I, been to I, those, I feel right? Like, yeah. yeah, the big room with the big round tables. You've got your lanyard on. It's dark. It's cold. Um, so at one of those conferences, we got this idea to really develop our own and to really actually think outside of the box and how we could elevate the experience. And that's how we came up with the unconference. So you're going to see, uh, well, one of our operating principles is you get Prosecco upon arrival. Um, you, we're going to have market vendors there. So you're going to be able to see different um, craftsmanship and vendors in Vancouver. And beyond that, the experience around seeing the speakers and really um, thinking outside of the box around HR and having progressive uh 
inspirational speakers there. So people come in, they'll, they'll loosen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got speakers from Mountain Equipment Co-op, mm-hmm. Sage Wellness, Aritzia, some big names there, among others. What are some of the lessons you're hoping people take away? Maybe maybe I kind of alluded to it at the intro here, but tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about what's going on. Yeah. So our tagline is awaken your purpose, passion, and career. So we believe that those three are so closely linked and we really want to bring that conversation to the forefront. So our speakers are talking about topics like meditation in the workplace, how to be empowered in the workplace, diversity and inclusion. So things that aren't your typical topics, perhaps at an HR conference, but things that are so applicable to to this area of work. I think it's an interesting time right now when we're talking about workplace culture, and maybe there's a bit of a generational divide. Mm -hmm. I think we hear a lot about maybe say, uh, trying to retain a lot of millennials, maybe Mm. they'll jump ship a little Mm -hmm. earlier than their managers would like. How do we kind of address that within the workplace culture? How do we make like a great workplace culture to, I guess, include everybody, you know, and I think you kind of mentioned it before, but that Mm -hmm. inclusivity factor too. Yeah, totally. It's a great question and something that's really top of mind in the industry right now uh, around retention. It's such a candidate-driven market. I think there are a couple things that come to mind. So what I hear from my candidates all the time, their, their number one question is, what is your workplace culture? What are your company values? How are you guys um, giving back to your community? So that sense of purpose around their work is becoming increasingly more important in the workplace. Um, Beyond that, another thing I'm hearing quite consistently from candidates is flexibility in the workplace. So there's this idea that, you know, we work nine to five, but in in today's age, that's just not true. There's there's kind of this underlying expectation that you're always on it with, you know, technology and emails and text messages and everything like that. You're, you're constantly kind of aware of what's going on when you're outside of the office. So allowing people to have some flexibility, whether that's working remotely, working flexible hours, it's a huge retention tool that uh, businesses should be thinking about if they're not. If they're not, they're losing great talent or not attracting the best talent they could be. I think about the first newsroom I worked in and uh, Facebook was not allowed, uh, at least uh, for the first like year or so. Mm-hmm. And then I think my boss, uh, he doesn't really care if he sees us like on our smartphones. He knows we work like all kinds of weird hours. Yeah. We're answering emails. It's a big kind of uh, change that we've been going <clears throat> through. Mm-hmm. How do you think kind of technology is playing kind of a- an interesting role? I also maybe kind of think about what automation is doing to the workplace and, and what that really mm-hmm. means for people moving forward and feeling like they have a very strong purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, technology is is exploding in, in every industry and certainly with uh, within HR. And it's such a, a hot topic for us at Talent Lab and something we blog about quite quite a bit. Um, and, and one of those technologies is is artificial intelligence that we're seeing come into uh, the workplace. And, and it's really kind of automating a lot of uh, repetitive work that uh, sometimes happens within HR. Um, one of those technologies that, that comes to mind that I've seen really kind of elevate the industry is around resume screening. So there's technologies that uh, you can input what your criteria is for a certain position and the technology actually reviews resumes for you and, and pulls out uh, the ones that match your criteria. So you're really saving a lot of time uh, in that sense and, and allowing yourself the freedom to get into some some more meaningful work. So it's really not necessarily about peeling away jobs more as, I guess, helping 
a lot of those Absolutely. people focus on more of, like you said, the kind of the more important thing. Yeah, that's such a great distinction because I think there's a lot of fear around uh, technology and specifically when you're kind of moving in the AI direction. Um, so I, I see it really as a partnership between people in the workplace and technology is what's really going to elevate your business. So I, I go back to Stats Canada. They just released their latest jobs number. Uh, BC doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Lowest unemployment rate in mm-hmm. the entire uh, pro, uh, in the entire country and by a pretty far margin. What does that mean, I guess, for competition and yeah. making sure that you're able to land all the candidates since there's such demand for talent right exactly. now? Exactly. It's such a candidate-driven market. Candidates really have the pick of the river pick of the litter. Um, so again, that's where I really see uh, businesses and specifically HR functions dialing in on their employer brand. What is their culture? What are their business values? What is their value proposition to the employee? So uh, businesses are always thinking about what their value proposition is to their client or their customer, but what are they bringing to the table for employees? And you know that's something that or Tess and I do at Talent Lab is consult with uh, businesses on how they're developing their employer brand. So the answer used to be way back in the day, money. That's what it is. Uh, What kind of things are you seeing kind of change within the workplace? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting because that it is moving away a little bit more from uh, salary and vacation and kind of those the the more traditional things that you would negotiate on. And it's coming back to time, flexibility in the workplace, the ability to um, perhaps kind of stretch themselves and be developed in their role. You know, that's a question I get a lot is what what is your um, development tools or development programs that you can offer us? So people are really looking for um, flexibility and the ability to continue developing in their in their role. One of the things I'm always fascinated by, and you hear it a lot from my friends from, like, say, Central Canada, is mm-hmm. there's a definitely a, a different sort of workplace culture here on mm-hmm. the West Coast. Is that proving to be advantageous? Is it proving to be somewhat challenging, especially if somebody's coming from other parts of Canada and they've mm-hmm. got to maybe get used to a different sort of workplace culture? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a positive. I think people come here and, and really enjoy um, the workplace culture and maybe the more laid back style of, of the West Coast. They've recruited um, internationally for businesses based in, in Vancouver. And I've always kind of used that as an advantage or a plus the way that we approach uh, workplace culture and kind of that mentality of balance in the workplace. Okay. So this Talent Lab Unconference, it's January 15th here in downtown Vancouver. Mm -hmm. If anybody wants to find out more information, what's the best thing to do? www.talentlabyvr.com. Excellent. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. That is Alicia Adams. She is the co-founder of Talent Lab. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll be back next time. 